0: Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15-20 to minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, Literally Heather. I am hoping I can make it through this episode today as I am losing my voice from hacking up my lungs. Um, I was hoping that I wouldn't have to talk about Russia or Ukraine anymore, but I'm not that lucky and neither are you. President Putin on Tuesday delivered a warning to the West over Ukraine by suspending a landmark nuclear arms control treaty, announcing that new strategic systems had been put on combat duty and threatening to resume nuclear tests. Nearly a year after ordering an invasion that has triggered the biggest confrontation with the West in six decades, Putin said Russia would achieve its aims and accused the West of trying to destroy it. The elites of the West do not hide their purpose, but they also cannot fail to realize that it is impossible to defeat Russia on the battlefield, he told his country's political and military elite. He also alleged that the United States was turning the war into a global conflict. Putin said Russia was suspending participation in the New START Treaty, its last major arms control treaty with Washington. It was signed by then-U.S. President Barack Obama and his Russian counterpart Dmitry Medvedev. In 2010, the treaty caps the number of strategic nuclear warheads that the countries are allowed to deploy. Russia has now completely suspended an arrangement that allowed U.S. and Russian inspectors to visit each other's nuclear weapons sites under the 2010 New START Treaty, in a new blow to arms control. Mutual inspections had already been suspended as a health precaution since the start of the COVID pandemic, but a foreign ministry statement on Monday added another reason Russia is unwilling to restart them. It argued that U.S. sanctions imposed because of the invasion of Ukraine stopped Russian inspectors from traveling to the United States. There are no similar obstacles to the arrival of American inspectors in Russia. The Russian Foreign Ministry raised this issue with the relevant countries, but didn't receive an answer. The treaty, as I stated earlier, limits each country's deployed strategic warheads, but the number is 1,550 and imposes limits on delivery systems and that was extended for five years in February of 2021. Um, Its inspection and verification clauses are widely seen as vital in building mutual confidence and preventing nuclear miscalculation. Until yesterday, though, Russian nuclear forces have maintained another key part of the New START agreement notifications to the United States on any movements or changes in status of its nuclear arsenal. They've been stepping up notifications. It's remarkable, Rose Gottmuller said. Um, she's the former NATO Deputy Secretary General and Under Secretary of State for Arms Control and International Security. Why is this a new why is this new development bad? Will we have nuclear war tomorrow? No, I don't think so. But Inspections are an important way of checking whether our country's notifications on its nuclear weapons are accurate. First, the volume of notifications is sufficiently large, so you should be able to detect serious discrepancies, and following that, there are always national technical means. They cannot see everything, of course, but serious discrepancies will be detected. Perhaps all is not lost, but We do not have a competent leader who wishes to de-escalate, so this is yet another unfortunate event in a series of unfortunate events. Former U.S. President Jimmy Carter has entered home hospice care in Plains, Georgia, after a series of short hospital stays. The Carter Center said in a statement Saturday that Carter, who is 98 years old, decided to spend his remaining time at home with his family and receive hospice care instead of additional medical intervention. The number of articles doing more to explain what hospice is, rather than what Jimmy Carter accomplished as a former president of the United States, says a lot about what Jimmy Carter accomplished as a former president of the United States. Joe Biden is just upset because there will no longer be a debate about who the worst president alive is. Dark humor and jokes aside, I hope his family is able to soak up these final days because losing a loved one is never fun for those left behind. Best wishes to them and their family. The Biden administration is moving to limit asylum in a bid to reduce border arrivals. Man, oh man, does this feel very too little, too late. The Biden administration published a proposal yesterday that would disqualify certain migrants from U.S. asylum and allow the government to deport them more quickly, saying the major policy shift is needed to curb unlawful migration to the southern border. The regulations, which will not take effect until after the government responds to comments from the public, would render migrants ineligible for U.S. asylum if they cross the southern border illegally after failing to ask for humanitarian refuge in another country, such as Mexico. Those unable to prove they are not barred from seeking asylum under the rules could be quickly deported without a chance to see an immigration lawyer or judge. The Departments of Justice and Homeland Security, which oversee the judges and officers who review asylum cases, We'll give the public 30 days to comment on the proposed regulations before implementing them. The government told the Supreme Court earlier this month it plans to finalize the regulations by early May. Once they take effect, the rules would last for two years, subject to a review that could lead to their expiration, extension, or modification. If enacted, the rules would be a seismic change to U.S. asylum policy barring most non-Mexican migrants who cross the southern border in between designated ports of entry from requesting refuge. U.S. law gives those on American soil the right to seek asylum regardless of whether they entered the country without permission. Could this be because of the influx of Chinese immigrants that have recently been caught The administration has justified the proposed restrictions on asylum eligibility by pointing to the record number of migrant apprehensions reported along the U.S.-Mexico border in recent years. U.S. border officials processed migrants over 4 million times in fiscal years 2021 and 2022. In the absence of such a measure, officials wrote in the regulation, the number of migra- migrants I cannot talk right now the number of migrants expected to travel without authorization to the united states is expected to increase significantly to a level that risks undermining the department's continued ability to safely effectively and humanely enforce and administer us immigration law including the asylum system in the face of exceptionally challenging circumstances Where has this approach position been for the last two years? What has changed? Coupled with a policy of expelling migrants who enter the U.S. unlawfully to Mexico under a coronavirus related public health restriction known as Title 42, the expanded legal migration channels have led to a sharp drop in illegal entries along the U.S. southern border in recent weeks. But with Title 42 set to end, Once the national public health emergency over COVID-19 lapses, on May 11th, the Biden administration has said the U.S. needs another tool to deter unlawful border crossings. Okay, most of you that have been following or listening to me for any length of time will know that I do not like people playing God. Um, Also, if you have been following or listening to me for any length of time, you will know that I'm constantly fascinated with and covering stories that are in fact about playing God. A 53-year-old man from Germany has been cured of HIV after receiving a stem cell transplant in 2014. This was disclosed in a release of the findings in Nature Medicine, and researchers say that he is the fifth to be cured of the virus after receiving the procedure. The man referred to as the Dusseldorf patient has no detectable traces of HIV virus and had stopped taking his HIV medication in 2019. The first person to be cured of HIV was Timothy Ray Brown, who was referred to by researchers as the Berlin patient, in findings published in 2009. Three others have also been cured, including the London patient in 2019, the City of Hope, and New York patients in 2022. All four of them underwent stem cell transplants, a high-risk procedure, also referred to as a bone marrow transplant, to treat blood cancer, and received an HIV-resistant mutation from their donors, which deletes a protein the virus normally uses to enter blood cells. 38.4 million, that's how many people across the world have HIV. Of these, 36.7 million were adults, 1.7 million were children under the age of 15. HIV is a virus that attacks the body's immune system and if not treated can lead to AIDS. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention noted that there is no effective cure for the virus, and once people get HIV, they have it for life. Though, the virus can be detected through symptoms, which can be visible as flu-like symptoms within two or four weeks of infection. Though the only way to be actually diagnosed is by being tested, despite there being no cure for the virus, some researchers I've started to implement stem cell transplants as treatment, allowing doctors to insert anti-HIV genes or mutations into an affected person's new immune system. It's wild. It's great if it's something that works and saves lives, but it still feels like when we start talking about stem cells and altering genetics, it gets a little scary. The days of the free-spending U.S. consumer may be in the rear view, but it's still not yet clear what lies ahead. Executives from Walmart and Home Depot had to talk to investors during their respective earnings calls yesterday. Between inflation, rising interest rates, layoffs, and other uncertainties, the stresses on household bank accounts are mounting, which could spell trouble as Consumer Spending Report represents Roughly 70% of the United States economy. Prices are still high. There is considerable pressure on the consumer, Walmart CFO John Rainey said. Attempting to predict with precision these swings in macroeconomic conditions and their effect on consumer behavior is challenging. In Home Depot's case, CFO Richard McPhail told analysts We've assumed, like many economists, that we will see flat, real economic growth and consumer spending in 2023. Zero growth, especially after a period of rapid expansion like the last few years, can often feel similar to a decline. Both retailers serve a huge swath of people in the United States and beyond. Walmart serves approximately 240 million customers at its 10,500 stores around the world, while Home Depot, reported more than 1.6 billion transactions in 2022. While Home Depot's customer was resilient during the prior two years, what we're seeing now is some more sensitivity, CEO Edward Decker said. Businesses in retail categories, other than the essential ones like food and shelter, may not fare so well if conditions deteriorate through the year but both companies said they're poised to weather the adversity shoppers often choose walmart oops i skipped a page walmart to find savings when times are tough while 90% of home depot's customers are homeowners whose houses are still worth roughly 40% more than what they were 3 years ago that could translate to comparatively healthy sales for both companies and each is boosting its budget for hiring and retention to meet consumer demand. Still, both are urging caution for the moment. There's a lot that we don't know. We could tilt into a recession. We don't know what happens to consumer spending. We don't know what happens to layoffs, household income. Given that we're so early in the year, there's a lot of unknowns right now. We're simply taking a cautious outlook. The daughter or a daughter of Malcolm X, the civil rights activist who was assassinated 58 years ago to the day yesterday, has filed notices that she intends to sue the FBI, the CIA, and the New York City Police Department and others for his death. Ilyasa Shabazz, accused various federal and New York government agencies of fraudulently concealing evidence that they conspired and executed their plan to assassinate her father, Malcolm X. For years, our family has fought for the truth to come to light concerning his murder, Shabazz said at a news conference at the site of her father's assassination. And that is now a memorial to Malcolm X. The New York Police Department said it would not comment on pending litigation. The FBI and the CIA also did not respond to requests for comment. Would any of these people have responded if it wasn't an an investigation or pending litigation? No, they wouldn't have answered. They are beholden to no one. Malcolm X rose to prominence as the national spokesman for the Nation of Islam, an African American Muslim group that espoused black separatism. He spent over a decade with the group before becoming uh I guess disillusioned, he didn't like it anymore, publicly breaking with it in 1964 and moderating some of his earlier views on racial separation, angering some Nation of Islam members and drawing death threats. At our last story of the day, and a crazy story, a flying instructor died in flight after suffering a cardiac arrest, but his co pilot thought that he was joking around and only realized after leaning the plane on the runway that the man who was slumped on his shoulder was dead. According to a newly published safety report on the incident, the pilot thought the instructor was pretending to be asleep as the pair flew a circuit above near Blackpool Airport in Lancashire, England. The qualified pilot had asked this actually happened in June of 2022, by the way. Um, but the report was just released. So that's why I'm just now telling you guys about it. The qualified pilot had asked the instructor to accompany him aboard the four-person Piper PA twenty-eight. For safety reasons, the pilot taxied the craft out of the runway, the pilot told the AAIB. He said the instructor's last words were, looks good, there's nothing behind you. Shortly after takeoff, the instructor's head rolled back. As the two pilots knew each other very well, the co-pilot thought his companion was just pretending to take a nap. While he completed the circuit, the report said, When the plane turned around, the instructor slumped over so that his head rested on the co-pilot's shoulder, but again, the pilot still thought a joke was being played on him. After leaning safely with the instructor still resting on his shoulder and not responding, the pilot realized something was wrong, alerted emergency services who were unable to revive the instructor. The instructor, who had close to 9,000 hours of flying experience, was said to be in good spirits before his final flight. People who had spoken to him the morning of the incident said he was normal, cheerful. There was no indications that he was feeling unwell. The three people who had flown with him for the trial lesson just prior to the incident flight said he seemed well and nothing abnormal had occurred. The medical department for the UK Civil Aviation Authority Reviewed the incident and the instructor's medical history and concluded that from the evidence provided, it is likely that the individual suffered a cardiac arrest as the aircraft took off. He was known to suffer from high blood pressure, but it was within regulatory limits. The AAIB's report concludes that while on this occasion the instructor's co pilot was qualified and was able to land the plane safely the outcome could have been very different. No tests or assessment can give a 100% reliable detection of cardiac issues, and a balance needs to be struck between minimizing the risk to flight safety and providing fair and reasonable medical assessment of individuals. The rarity of accidents caused by cardiac events in flight suggests this balance is currently about right. That is your Wednesday edition of everything yesterday this morning. Um, I wanted to let you guys know we start a new book this evening. We finished Brave New World last week. Tonight for book club starting at 1015 Eastern Time on Twitter Spaces. We will be covering the first three chapters of um, Waco, A Survivor's Tale by David Thibodeau. I apologize. I had a total and complete moment of blankness. Um, If you would like to join us, I believe it is available on Kindle um, and Nook and all of those places. So um, if you would like to join us, I would love to have you. Otherwise, I will see you on Friday. I am no longer recording on Wednesday nights because of Book Club, so there is no Thursday happy hour, but I will be back on Friday. So you guys take care. Have a great day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out ShouseInTheHouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.